Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Budge Courier, and I'm filling in for Pastor Wayne this week. Um, those of you that regularly attend know he's on sabbatical. So what we're going to do today is, is work through a passage of Scripture that the Lord laid on my heart. So we're going to be in Second Peter, uh, is the passage that we're going to be going through today. So let me uh, just wait for these guys to get this together. So as we're waiting for that, today's New Year's, how many of you actually make New Year's resolutions? How many of you? Anybody in the room? There's a few. So I remember last year, Sean gave, I think, the first message of the year, if I remember right, uh, last year. And he gave some stats. And statistics say that about 60% of the people um, make New Year's resolutions. So it looks like we're a little low. I saw less than (laughs) half of the hands go up, which is probably good because of those 60% of the people that make resolutions, by the end of January... 50% 50% will already have failed, which I think is kind of staggering. So in less than one month, half of the people who began to make resolutions, they've already broke them. So if you're like me, that's like day two. Um, and only about 8% of the people actually succeed of those 60% that make them. So those of you that are not making New Year's resolutions, that's probably a good thing because you may be in that uh, disappointed category. So I was thinking there's, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be something better that we can do rather than just make resolutions that within 30 days we're unable to keep. So I want to really focus today on something that we already have. And you've probably caught on from the songs that um, we worshipped through this morning with Pat that really they focused on some of the blessings we have in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about in the passage today. And really I want to focus in on abundant life. And abundant life is, means to have in great quantity overflowing into our present existence. So that's really the vision of what Christ had when he saved us, that we would live this abundant life that overflows out of our life and into the lives of those around us. And that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. So as we think about this abundant life, I wanted to give you a kind of uh, an overview of what we're going to talk about. First, I'll give a little motivation about abundant life. And this is kind of an overview of the sermon. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, confessing our sin and what that means and how that plays into living in an abundant life. I'm also going to talk about uh, walking in the ways of the Lord and then sharing God's love with others. And we're going to use the passage in 2 Peter to do this. So this idea, um, the Lord laid this on my heart through this gospel song. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this, but it's, uh, it's an old gospel song called Drinking from My Saucer is really the name of the song. But I want to put the second part in there because it's drinking from my saucer because my cup is overflowed. So the idea of that song is that our lives are so full that they overflow our cups and into our saucer, like you picture like a teacup. And then you're just literally drinking from that saucer. You don't even need to go to the cup because it just flows out of the cup and overflows all around. So that's kind of the picture I have there, that it literally should outflow out of our lives and we partake and everyone around us is blessed by that as well. So that's the idea. We want to picture this overflowing cup, this abundant life that Christ has for us when we submit to him and walk with him. And that's really what we're going to talk about. So how do we get to that point? Well, I think this passage in Second Peter outlines some of the important things that we should think about if we want to live that abundant life. And so we're going to work through this passage in Second Peter. 
So 2 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter somewhere 67 to 68 AD, near the end of his life. Most think that he wrote it from prison during the time of uh, Emperor Nero, right before uh, Peter was put to death. So this is one of Peter's last um, letters that he wrote, one of the last things he did near the end of his life. The purpose of the letter was really to... um, expose false teachers and then provide ways to kind of thwart and defeat false teachings in the church. So false teachers have become prevalent in the church and so the book is really probably one of the most succinct books that that talks about false teaching. So obviously when he's talking about false teaching he wants to start with kind of this baseline of where we should be in our walk with the Lord. And that's really what chapter 1 is all about. It focuses on knowing our salvation and knowing our scripture. And so that's really the part of the passage we're going to look at today. Knowing our salvation and knowing the scripture. Um, So before we read it, I want to ask you to just bow your heads with me in prayer. And then we'll ask the Lord to uh, work in our hearts as we read through this. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We ask now, Lord, you just prepare our hearts. Help us to be open to hear from you. Um, work in and through us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit and help us to apply your truths to our lives with that special message that you have for each one of us, Lord. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you'll follow along with me, if you've got your Bible, feel free to open up to Second Peter. Um, this is the ESV translation, if you're wondering. And I'll work through the passage. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who obtained the faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since you know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, 
you may be able to, at any time to recall these things. All right. I guess I should have advanced halfway through that. So let's, uh, what I want to do is kind of work our way verse by verse through this passage and then apply these verses to this abundant life that, that I think Christ has for us. So we're starting 2020. It's kind of exciting if you think about it. We're back in the 20s. There are some of you in this room who were alive the first time in the 20s, and uh, you've started over again. So we're entered into this new era. Uh, Kind of exciting to think about what the Lord has for us. So he starts out, the Apostle Peter does, with this first passage. And notice that phrase right there. It says, those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So he's addressing this letter to believers. That's pretty important. And he he describes those believers in a certain way. He says that we, you and I, have obtained a faith equal to the apostles. I mean, think about that. When you're in your quiet time with the Lord, is that kind of what he impresses on your heart? That you're kind of in the same category of Peter and John and James? and, And probably not, right? Probably none of us think of that. But if you read through Scripture, Scripture is very clear in the eyes of the Lord that is the standing we have. Because it's Christ who puts us in that place, not us. Our standing doesn't have anything to do about us. It's about what Christ has done in us and continues to do in us. And that's really the idea of this passage. So when you read a a phrase like that, it seems kind of startling. But that's really the truth of Scripture, right? That's where we are. Now, how do we obtain this faith? Because um, it's important to think about where the source is. The source is not from us. And this passage makes it very clear. It's by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how we stand in that place. And it's really important to keep that perspective. Now, I want to pause there because the rest of the passage, this is written to believers. So the first thing you should ask yourself is, do I know Jesus? Am I a believer? Because the rest of this passage is not going to make a lot of sense and you won't really be able to apply it if, if you're not in that place. So if you don't know the Lord, then you're going to probably work through, the, we'll work through the rest of this passage. And you're going to see it comes up a bit short. So try and uh, I'm encouraging you throughout this morning, if you don't know the Lord, to, to come to a saving faith in Him. And you'll see as we work through the passage this abundant life that awaits you once it happens. And I'll make a couple more references to this throughout the, uh, the morning. Now, if you are a believer and you are walking with the Lord, I think it's important to do a a little introspective look at how is your walk with the Lord. Because there are some things that can prevent us from enjoying this abundant life. Now, Peter doesn't address them in this passage, but there's numerous other passages that talk about this. One of the things that I want to point out is, is from Hebrews. So if you look at this passage from Hebrews 12.1 that's on the board here, it says, Therefore, we are surrounded by a great, great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the idea here, he's kind of creating this picture of an endurance race. All right. So imagine if we were about to begin an endurance race, Uh, us all together, and then I handed you 50-pound sacks of sand to hold in each hand before you started running, but I didn't have anything. Probably not a fair race, right? 
I, I, when I was in the Marine Corps, I actually ran a mile with a 50-pound uh, sack of sand in my pack. It's not a fun way to go. All right. So the idea here is that sin weighs us down. It's this burden that prevents us from running the race that God has set before us. All right. So there's the, in order to live this abundant life, you have to shed that extra weight, that extra weight of sin and that burden that you're carrying around, so that as you lay aside that weight, you can run the race with endurance. Now, how do we shed that weight? How do we get rid of that? One of the passages that I think really outlines this is uh, 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our part is just to agree with God. Yep, that that I've done, I agree with you, is wrong. And you approach the Lord and that's how you free yourself of that weight. So take some time and think through uh, in your quiet time this week what might be burdening you and weighing you down in the way of sin and lay those aside and that will help you uh, run this race with endurance that the Lord has set before us. So once that sin is cast away and the burdens are gone, we can begin to think about um, walking in the ways of the Lord and living this abundant life that Christ has for us. So Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now that phrase, all things, I think is pretty important. If you think you're missing something or lacking something or God has yet to give it to you, this passage makes it very clear that he's already given you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. There's not like you're going to get one day in your faith where you suddenly get more added unto you. That you already have that right now. There's even a passage in Ephesians um, chapter 1 that talks about we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the condition we're in right now. Now you may not feel that way all the time, but that's the truth of the scripture. And, and embracing that truth is how we live this abundant life because you're not, you're not um, concerned about yet to receive something. You kind of know you're already, God has already granted that to you. So we have all that we need in order to live an abundant life. And this comes, notice in the passage, it says, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So it's through our knowledge of Christ, I think that we become more aware of what we've been given. So as your knowledge of the Lord increases, it's kind of, you kind of realize more and more all that you've been given. And you're, you're, you're uh, more and more appreciative of the work He's doing in your life. And you live this abundant life uh, more fully. And I think it's important, too, to understand why we've been given this. So if we ask ourselves, why has God blessed us in that way? Why has he given us everything that pertains to life and godliness? Look at the end of this uh, passage. It says, through the knowledge of him or through the knowledge of God or Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence. So all of this has been given to us for his glory. If you think back in the Old Testament and you go look up the calling on Abraham, I'm doing the read through the Bible in a year and I'm in that passage right now. It says that uh, Abraham was blessed by God so that he could bless others. And I, I missed that the first time I, well, I, I say probably the first 20 times I read that passage. Right? You miss the idea of 
thinking about why, why Lord, has, has this been done for me? Even think about the gifts that we've all been given as believers. Ephesians makes it clear we've been gifted so that we can use those gifts in the body to edify the body in love and build one another up. So God has blessed us with all these things that pertain to life and godliness for His glory and for His excellence. And when we consider that, then we can start to think less about ourselves and more about others. So it's kind of this flow-through process. So to go back to that cup, God is filling up your cup to overflowing so that you can then flow out on those that are around you. And that's the idea that he's talking about here. And that's really what the abundant life is, is about. Having the perspective of, Lord, how can you use me to bless others? What gifts have you given me that I'm supposed to be using to edify the body of Christ. And if we have that perspective, I, I wanted to think of kind of an analogy that, that um, we could all apply to this passage. So I was talking to my wife, Monica, and she said, you know, there's probably some people that are sitting there today who are hurting and who are in a difficult place. And you know, you don't want them to feel minimized that, uh, that their sufferings aren't real or that their pain isn't isn't real, um, that this abundant life is this somehow magical thing that we all have. So I thought of the idea of, um, I don't know, this picture is kind of hard to see, but you'll see when the whole picture comes together. Most of you can probably see that's a tree and a path. Can everybody see that? It's also winter in that scene. Okay, so that's snow. So some of you may be in this wintry, barren, no leaves on your tree, and you feel a little bit trodden over, right? Some of you may be coming from that place. Some of you may be in springtime. So this is the same tree in springtime when it comes to life and it, and it seems like things are overflowing. Some of you may be in summer when things are full blown and all alive and, and growing. And some of you may be in the fall where you feel like you're kind of dying on the vine and the, and the leaves are withering up. Uh, the good news is that this abundant life, abundant life applies to all. And there's a passage that I think um, it really ministers to me. It's in John 12, 24. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So no matter where you are in this picture, whether you're the dead grain of wheat that's fallen into the ground and it looks like winter, or you're in the springtime when that wheat is just starting to grow up, or whether you're in the summer when it's fully bloomed and, and fruit is coming forth, or if you're on the tail end where the wheat is about ready to die and fall off and start the process all over, God can work from whatever perspective you're in. It's just a matter of where are you on that journey. And, and as we live this abundant life, we're going to go through all these seasons. They're all going to happen to all of us. It's common. Um, it's, it's accepted, and uh, we in the body of Christ come together with one another to comfort us as, as we go through those different seasons of life. If you think about the passage in 2 Corinthians, it says that God comforts us in our comfort so that we can then turn around and comfort others who are in that same situation. And we've probably all been there, where you're suffering with something uh, and you're going through a difficult time, and then God then uses you in the lives of others to comfort them when they're in the same position that you're in. And that's kind of the idea here. So no matter where you are, 
this abundant life is available, and your perspective may be different, but it certainly can apply to all of us. So as we move through the passage and we think about been, we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness for this abundant life, in verse 4, he says, by which he has granted to us his, very, his precious and very great promises. So I want you to think about that for a second, this precious and very great promises. Try and think of something that the Lord is doing in your life right now that is very precious to you, that, is, that, that kind of think through in your mind. Now magnify that each and every day as you take purposeful time to remember the blessings He's given you. There's always something that you can look to as evidence that God is working in your life. It may be something on that day. It may have some, something that happened last week or last month or a few years ago that are now just coming into perspective today. But that's the idea here. And then through those promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. Now, I think that's kind of an amazing thought. As these great promises that God has given to us enable us to partake of the divine nature. I mean, think about that. It's sort of like sitting at the table with the Lord and partaking and, and sharing a meal with Him as He blesses you in these ways. That's the, the picture that Peter is trying to remind us of here. And as we partake of this, it says here, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So that's why I wanted to use that analogy of we've got to lay aside that, that weight of sin because that, that can weigh us down. That corruption that can creep in can rob you of that abundant life that God has in mind for you. So he says that as we partake, we ex escape this corruption that's in the world around us. And if you think the world is not corrupt, just watch the news for about 10 minutes. And you'll be convinced otherwise. Uh, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty sad what is happening in the world around us. So, how do we partake more of this? How do, we, how do we build on this? How do we partake more of the divine nature? I really think that each day, every moment of every day, we need to remember what God is doing in our lives and, and look at ways that we can use the gifts He's given us to share with those around us. So He goes on, and, and He's going to now start to get into kind of this practical application phase, and He's going to lay out some building blocks of this abundant life. And there's a bunch of them laid out in the next couple of verses. So he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So now, if you look through this passage and just pick out all of these uh, uh, words that he uses here, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, and love. And if you're wondering, that word love there is really charity. Um, some of your translations may use the word charity. So if we want to understand this passage, we should probably understand what each of these words mean. Because if I was to tell, tell you to uh, give me the definition of faith, I'd probably get 20 or 30 different versions. So one of the tools I like to use um, is I'll, I'll go to the King James Bible, look at how the translators translated those words, and then go get the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which is based on that translation of Scripture. So it's a way for us non-scholar, non-Greek professor type people to see what the scriptures say. So that's what I've done for each of these words here, is I've pulled out 
um, from Webster's and from some sermons and stuff that I've, I've heard in the past. A definition for each of these. So faith. Faith can be thought of as conduct based on a firm conviction that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says to do. That What he says he's going to do. That's really what faith is. So faith is an action word. Right? And if you read through um, James, it talks about how faith without works is, is sort of dead and empty. So that's faith. From there, he moves on to um, virtue. So virtue is voluntary obedience to God's truth. Think about that. You realize what God's truth is, and then you voluntarily obey it. That's virtue. So notice it's, he says faith is built upon by virtue. The next one is knowledge, which is a clear and certain perception of that which exists or or is a truth or a fact. So in other words, you're clear on truth. And if you think about some of the things that are happening in today's world, uh, is there even truth, right? And that's one of the things people question is whether there even is a truth. And then the next one he uses is self-control. Self-control is the practice of learning to maintain control of one's own sinful passions. So we all have sinful passions, every one of us. You can read 1 John. It makes it very clear that we all sin. Uh, And this idea of self-control is when that passion comes along or that temptation, then you have the ability to not act on it. And that's really the freedom that we have in Christ. From there, he moves on and talks about steadfastness, which is firmness of mind or purpose, patiently enduring. So if you have a, um, a stubborn child, that really can be a blessing because they probably have a very good firmness or purpose of mind. But you've got to tie that back and to be firm and purposeful to do the things of God is the idea here. All right? So that's steadfastness. The next one is godliness, a careful ob- ob- observance of the laws of God and performance of religious duties, proceeding from love and reverence for the divine character and commands. So I think this definition is pretty important. So it's not just religiousness so that you yourself can gain. The idea is that you recognize what God wants you to do, observance of God's laws, and you do them really out of reverence or response to what God is doing in your heart. That's what godliness is all about. So you're adhering to the laws in response to God working and, 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 and doing in your heart what you know he's doing. Kind of that, that sanctification process. Brotherly love. This is the love that Christians um, cherish for one another as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. I kind of alluded to that in that passage in Ephesians that talks about how we've all been given gifts and we're supposed to be sharing those gifts with one another to edify the body of love together in Christ. And that's kind of the idea here. And then the last one he mentions is charity. And uh, this definition of charity, didn't, I, I made this one up, so this one didn't come from Webster's, but um, it's the idea of giving others what they need by the power of Christ in us. So that idea of you recognize a need in somebody else, And then by the power of Christ in you, you're responding and meeting that need that they have. So these are sort of the building blocks. So if you want this abundant life, this is the path that that Peter is suggesting that we take. 
We, these elements should be in us. And he goes on. He makes it very, very clear on what we're to do with this. He says, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. So, sort of think through this. We may all know these truths, and so that would be like the knowledge of the Lord part. But the qualities are preventative. If we're exhibiting them or doing them and practicing them, then they really prevent us from becoming ineffective or unfruitful. It's not just enough to know these things. You have to actually do these things in order to see the benefit. So if, you're, if you don't feel like you're living this abundant life, uh, then maybe you should practice more on doing them instead of just knowing them. You've probably met those people who are, have a lot of head knowledge, but then you, you watch their actions and you, you just, there's a disconnect. Like, wait a minute, you know all these truths, but I don't see you living them. That's what this passage is encouraging us to do. We have knowledge of Jesus Christ, and, and we want that knowledge to produce fruit and to be effective. So it, it produces action in us, is the idea. Now, if we lack these qualities, he says, we're nearsighted and blind, and we've forgotten that Christ forgave us of our sins. So if we're not practicing these things, then we become blind. It's kind of like putting blinders on. You might remember um, in the story of Exodus, um, and when they're leading, when Moses is leading the Israelites out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, he, he calls them hard-hearted over and over and over again. That's this idea. This blindness comes over you and you become hard-hearted and you're not open and receptive to what God wants to do in your life. So <clears throat> he moves on in the next passage. And I really think this is when he starts to transition into the practical application phase. Like, let's, how do we live this life? So if we go back to that, uh, that cup analogy that I started um, the passage with, if, if you don't know Christ, you don't even have a cup. Now, what do I mean by that? Before I came to know the Lord, I spent a lot of time setting goals and achieving them. Right? You set a goal and achieve it, and you set a goal and achieve it. How long does achieving a goal really last? How much lasting enjoyment do you get? Think of the last goal you set for yourself and when you achieved it. Last a day, a week, maybe a month, right? And then you need another goal or you need another thing because you've sort of forgotten about that. So setting goals are okay. It's not a bad thing. But if you really want lasting enjoyment from them, then they're done in Christ and for Christ and they're stored up in heaven as treasures in heaven. Now they have an eternal value to you as well as the the, the temporary value that you had. So before I came to know the Lord and I would set a goal and achieve it, and and a few days later you're like, okay, I need another goal because I don't have anything to do now. That's what I mean you don't have a cup. You don't even have a cup to store up those blessings in because it's got to be done in the Lord to have this lasting eternal value. Now, if you do know Christ, you might be just focused on filling your cup up, right? So this kind of works-based theology where you're trying to fill the cup yourself, not realizing that it's God who fills the cup. So rather than, uh, you know, trying to fill your own cup up and do this and fill the cup and fill the cup, it's, it's really, our perspective is, we have to remember, and I, and I, I heard this phrase um, 
listening to a sermon or something that God never promised to change our circumstances. So, so read through scripture. Those of you who are really, you've read through the Bible 20, 30 times. Our circumstances don't change, right? It's God's promise to comfort us, love us, and lead us through those circumstances that the Bible is filled with. And I think that's an important perspective because we could try and fill our cup by trying to change our circumstances. Or when circumstances come along that are surprising or shocking or sad or um, terrible, then we begin to doubt or we begin to wonder, you know, Lord, what are you doing? But really, God is not focused on our circumstances. He's focused on loving us, comforting us, guiding us, leading us in spite of our circumstances. And I think that's a really important thing to consider when, when you think about your abundant, your abundant life that God wants you to live. That way, a passage like rejoice always, and again I say rejoice, there's really no other way that that passage can become true if you realize that it's not circumstance dependent, right? Otherwise, you'd be given a command from God that you could never achieve, and, and, the, and the verse is clear. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. So the only way we can do that is if it's not circumstance-based. If it's more of this idea that God is going to love us and lead us and guide us into this everlasting life, regardless of our circumstance. And that's really, that, that mindset I think is really important. Um, very difficult to remember, especially when you're in the midst of that wintry, dead um, feeling that we sometimes have. Uh, go through because of our circumstances. So, a couple of passages I wanted to focus on um, from Hosea. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. So, if you're familiar with Hosea, that was given uh, in encouraging the people that when they returned back into the land... This was what they were supposed to do. They were, by the help of their God, they were supposed to return and hold fast to love and justice and continually wait for God. That's what we're supposed to be doing today, too. Returning continually back to the Lord, holding fast to Him, and waiting for Him uh, to see what He's going to do in in our lives and with our lives. And then Hosea 14.9, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, discerning, Let him know them, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. So kind of this idea, we realize God's way is right, ours is not, and we are purposeful to walk in the way that God has for us, even if we don't understand them. And and it's interesting, Peter even mentions that in the end of his letter. He says that uh, Paul has written many things that are difficult to understand, but we still need to do them kind of the idea. So don't let your application of God's word depend on your understanding. You may have heard people who say, uh, God said it and I believe it, so it's true. Mm. There's a step in there that's kind of dangerous. God said it, it is true, regardless of whether or not you believe it. Right? And it's a little subtle, because then you could maybe limit yourself to only applying those things that you actually understand. And I don't know about you, I don't understand everything in here. There's no way. But we can apply everything in here. And that's kind of what we're, what we're encouraged to do. So, 
God has filled us to overflowing. He's, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he wants us to live this overfilling life, uh, life that flows into the life of others. And you need to be passionate about this. You can find many passages that talk about us pursuing God. This, this constant pursuit and hunger and thirst for righteousness that we're supposed to have in our lives. That's the idea. Pursue God and seek eternal life. And then God will give you ways to share those gifts with others. And these gifts that we've been given intend us to produce fruit. So Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So every spiritual blessing you've already been blessed with. That's the perspective that this passage has. Whether or not it feels that way. And then thinking about how to apply this, um, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So go look through some of the, the um, parables that Jesus used uh, on being a good steward. There's many in there that talks about how you're entrusted with a little thing, and then God sees how you do with that little thing, and then he blesses you more because you've been a good steward with that which he gave you. Um, and there's probably 15 or 20 different parables that have the, kind of that same mindset that we've been given a gift, all of us, everybody in this room, as a follower of Christ, has been given some gift, whether it's the gift of helps or the gift of mercy or the gift of encouragement or the gift of leadership or the gift of teaching or whatever it is. That gift that he's given you is special and unique for you, and he intends you to use it in the body of Christ so that we all are built up together and we're good stewards of God's grace that he's just bestowed that on us. That's kind of the idea. And from Haggai, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. So I like this passage because it, it talks about how we're supposed to do something and then remember that God is with us as we do that. Right? Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. So he moves on in the passage, and, and now he's going to kind of motivate them to actually do these things. He says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So I listed the qualities on the bottom of the slide there. I don't know if you can see that, kind of down the bottom of the slide. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, and love. Those are the things that we're supposed to be diligently doing, and it confirms our calling and election. So if we practice those things, he says, we will never fall. So think about that. I think it's pretty amazing to consider that we can not sin, right? We can walk with the Lord and, and, and live this abundant life. That's what this passage is encouraging us to do if we're practicing these qualities. It also confirms our calling and election. I think that's pretty important to, to understand. So if you've ever... If, you've, if anyone's ever come to you and said, uh, uh, or you've even had this thought where you're not sure if you're a believer, you're not sure if, if you've really been called by the Lord, well, look for these qualities that are exhibited in their lives or in your life, and they're kind of a, a demonstration that it's Christ working in you, because without Him, it's, you can't live this type of life. And that's really what, what He's talking about here. 
And as I said, practicing these qualities ensures that we will never fall. Uh, never gonna, it's not that we're not going to trip and stumble, but we aren't going to completely fall. And it also gives us a, a way to uh, have a rich entrance into the eternal kingdom. So if you remember, Jesus taught us that his second coming will be, um, he said it'll come like a thief in the night, right? Like it'll come suddenly. And when he comes, you want to be seen and found doing what he told you to do. That's kind of the idea. So that when he comes, you're not going, oh, wait, let me just take care. I've got a couple things i got to confess, and i got to go square that away and do this. And It might be too late at that point, right? I mean, because he's going to come in, in the blink of an eye, and we're supposed to be found walking with him continually and, and always um, living this abundant life that he's laid out for us. Now, and this is to keep in mind, this is not a works-based theology that he's talking about here. It's really, it's, the, the passage is very clear. This is a response to what Christ is doing in your heart. And it produces this fruit in your life. And he then wants to stir up their memory. So I, I said on this slide, remember to stir. For he says here, he says, I, I intended always to remind you of these qualities. Um, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right as long, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So he's reminding them in this letter of things that they already knew to be true. And he's trying to stir those qualities up in them so, because he knows the more they practice them and do them, the more that they're established in their faith and the more that they're living this life that Christ intended them to live. And he wanted them to get to the point that even um, after his departure or when he died, that they would remember these things and then continue to do them was the idea. So this idea of always being reminded, that's probably one of the most important reasons to be in Scripture every day. Some time with the Lord to continually remind yourself and to allow Him to work in your heart. And you've got to know these qualities. You've got to know what they are. You've got to know them. You've got to do them. You've got to be practicing them. And then you want to be established in this truth of God that he's laid out for us. And when the sermon's over or the message ends or you close your Bible, you're supposed to remember those things so that throughout the day you could actually recall them and practice them and do them. That's kind of the idea. Not just a, uh, you know, hear it and then forget and go about your day. So... How do we get to that point? How do we get to the point where as we live our day, each and every day, we actually become doers of the word and not just hearers only? So I put this passage up here in, in James um, chapter 1. We're supposed to be doers of the word and not just hearers only that deceive ourselves. Uh, I think that could be confusing because as you read through the truth of God, if you're not actually doing it and you're hearing it only, you may wonder, well, well, why doesn't this seem real to me? Or why, why, isn't, why isn't it happening in my life the way that this passage said that it should happen? Uh, maybe you're hearing only and you're not doing. Um, that, that could be part of it. Um, and he goes on in this passage to say that one who's a hearer only is kind of one who looks at, you look in a mirror and you just see your natural face. You're not seeing the whole image. And then you go away and you forget what it was you looked at, look like. So the idea of you, you, you hear it and immediately forget it, and you're not living it and practicing it. But 
if we really look intently, verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer of act, a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we want to get to the place where God's word is getting in us, his truth is resonating in our hearts, and then we actually do what it is that he's saying for us to do. Right? And, and that's really the idea. If you want to live that abundant life, God's truth comes in, and then you find a way to apply it and use that, that word of God in your life. So his blessings come in the doing, not just in the hearing, is the idea. And you have to really trust that God's word is true, and then do what he says and watch the results. So if you're in that pattern, I think it's, it's a really encouraging place to be. Put God to the test in that way, that, that you live his word in your life and watch what happens as a result. And you'll see kind of this transformative thing that Peter is expecting in our lives. All right, so and I think that's it because that's for the, the um, benediction. So as you go this week, I hope you take a couple of moments and think about this passage. Maybe pick one or two of those qualities that that you see, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love or love, and ask the Lord to reveal to you ways that you can demonstrate that in your life. And then use that as a building block to continue to grow in what he's doing in your heart as, as you live this abundant life that he has for you. All right, so will you bow with me in, in prayer? Father, we thank you for this word that you've given to us. And as we now transition into communion, uh, work in our hearts, Lord, help us to apply these truths. We just love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.